Project Excite Sessions, where innovation, technology, and entrepreneurship meet the brightest minds, leaders, and innovators in Colorado, our university ecosystem, and beyond. All right, welcome back to Project Excite Sessions. I'm Nina Sharma. I'm the Managing Director at Project Excite at the University of Denver, and I am here with Elena Zuckerman, who is our Student Innovation Fellow. Hello, everyone. Um, and we are special guest today is Elaine Marino um, from a new company she's launched called Equally. Elaine, welcome. Hi, hello, everyone. Thank you for having <laughs> me. Um, awesome, well, thank you for being here. As As you know or may have heard, this is really just our podcast to share with the world what um, awesome entrepreneurs are doing in Denver um, and or, or and across the world. And we just want to hear all about you and your whole story and what you do and definitely dive a bit into Equally and how and why you started it. But right. let's start with you, where you're from, what your background is. Sure. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm super honored and excited to be here. Uh, I think Denver is fantastic, um, but it's taken me a while to get here. So I uh, grew up in Los Angeles and um, big Italian, Mexican family. I'm a mixed race. And um, my parents all still live there. Whole family still lives there. And uh, I went to college on the East Coast. I went to Georgetown. And then I went back to Los Angeles and began my career in advertising, actually. Can I interrupt you for a second? Sure. What did you major in in college? Oh, I was in the School of Foreign Service. I was an international relations major. Oh, yeah. I was supposed to go become a diplomat. And some of my friends did. Many of my friends have very cool jobs. That is um, so awesome. Yeah. I, w I went to the State Department my sophomore year and was like, oh, my God, this is where people go to die. This is so boring. <laughs> Um, it wasn't for me. And actually, thinking about where I ended up, which was in advertising, like deep in the heart of advertising, it was the exact opposite of the State Department. Like completely. Completely. And so, um, yeah, I actually, between my junior and senior year, I already knew I wanted to go into advertising, and I got an internship in Los Angeles. Uh, at um, an agency that doesn't even exist there anymore called BBDO West. BBDO still exists. Yeah. That office does not. So how did studying to be in the Foreign Service like prep you for the advertising world. It had to have in some way. I it, just don't know did. the connection. You know what it, I think what prepped me, honestly, and I've had this discussion with a few other um, people who've gone to these types of universities, it upped my game. Like I was writing, gosh, multiple papers a week. Um, I was expected to read almost 13 books a week. Um, like it was out of it was wow. out of hand. The intensity of the education. We had five full-time classes, which were way too much. Whoa. Um, and at each and there was no class that was like a an easy class. You know, I would have um, some sort of high level government, a language course, um, economics, and philosophy, and some other like business class. Like it was every wow. class was super intense, and so um, just that workload, the stamina, the expectation, learning to write, um, learning how to communicate. I think all of that prepared me for advertising. The work ethic aspect of it and the education, like just operating at a higher education level. As far as the content goes, mm -hmm. um, there was probably You can almost, analyze a news story. Yeah, like, right. No, I can no, analyze no, a news sure. story. There was almost no overlap. But I actually don't believe that that's what college is for. I think college is for to give is to give you the skill set to um, have a good, strong work ethic, be able to analyze situations and um, 
honestly, it also probably helped me with some politics. Like mm-hmm. there are some serious office politics in advertising. Interesting. Um, and I learned very quickly how to navigate that. So what did you do at BBDO? Uh, well, there I was just an intern for new business, okay. actually. And then when I started my career after college, I um, also was uh, in new business, which that is a great education. That's an education for anyone. It's essentially (laughs) sales. Um, And so what I would do is I was an assistant to the new business director, and it was her job to go out and get new clients. And so it was feast and famine. It was either we had nothing to do or I was there Um, 24-7. And I only worked with the executives because all of the executives are the ones that have to pitch new business. And so I would put all their decks together. I would sit in their meetings and take all the notes and organize all of the schedules. Um, But the real education piece was learning how to win business. Hmm. Um, That was invaluable. Um, And what I learned, for anyone that's listening, is that you lead with what your client needs. So what everyone wants to do is say, here are all my qualifications and here's why you should hire me. And instead, what you should say is, your problem is X and here are all the ways to solve it. Mm -hmm. And I'm the person to do it because of all my qualifications. It's fascinating how often we lead with why you should hire me. Yeah, Yeah, here's why Mm -hmm. I'm great. It just feels like the natural reason why you should want to hire someone. But really, the person on the other side of the table wants to know how are you going to solve my problem? Super interesting. Yeah, it was. I learned that. Gosh, I learned that at like 22, 23 years old (laughs) out of college. Um, And then I got into the account world and worked on accounts and um, eventually got recruited by an ad agency to New York City, which was always my dream of where I wanted to live. Um, And so I moved to New York City for seven years and I worked on many different accounts. Um, The largest was, uh, there was a couple large ones, Delta Airlines, Mm -hmm. we launched them out of bankruptcy. Um, We worked with a brand strategy firm that rebranded them, and then we did all the advertising. It was like a $300 million buy. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know that I've ever worked harder in my life. It was like May 7th was the date it had to launch, um, which is unusual in advertising to have to hit one date for everything, Mm. Um, for television, for outdoor, for newspaper, for internet, all of it. And then the other big thing I worked on, this was the last account I had, was the Bank of New York Mellon, which is an old behind-the-scenes bank. It's institutional investing. But the reason why that was so interesting is that when I worked on them, it was during the financial crisis. And overnight, we um, two things happened. Um, When... um, First, it was, was it Barclays that fell? No, it wasn't Barclays. Who was Lehman. It? No, Lehman. There was somebody right before Lehman hmm. that started it, and then Lehman is- Oh, Bear Stearns. Where, yes, thank you, Bear Stearns. Bear Stearns, when they um, fell, I totally thought I was going to lose my job. And then when Lehman happened, everyone thought they were going to lose their job. Like, literally, the next day, we just thought, oh, we'd all be out of jobs. Um, but what ended up happening in the financial industry is many people lost their jobs and many people got busier because mm. somebody had to pick up all of the slack. Yeah. And the bank in New York Mellon did not dabble in any of the credit default swaps. And they were a very old and boring bank <laughs> and overnight became like the fifth largest bank in the world. And they were tapped to distribute all of the TARP funds to bail out all of the banks because they were so steady. And all of a sudden, I was one day, you know, we're doing just like international advertising for uh, the bank. And the next day, it was like a complete re-strategizing everything and changing everything. And we went from that to being very, very busy. And those two years were incredibly stressful. Um, Everyone was constantly scared of losing their job. And clients were... 
afraid and no one was in a good mood. And <laughs> I was like, I am done. <laughs> How do I get myself out of this mess? Yeah. And um, really done. And um, gosh, I feel like this is such a common story now, but I'll say it anyways. Um, I was so stressed out and looking for a way out. I didn't know what to do. I was groomed for this. You know, I went to I went to Georgetown and um, I had parents who had very steady jobs. My father was a police officer, which made him a civil servant. And then after he retired from being a police officer, he went and worked at Bank of America. He's still at Bank of America. Um, and so I was always taught to have like a very steady income, steady jobs. This is what you need in your life. And I've always worked towards that. And my parents were happiest for me when I was in advertising because I was making such good money and I was climbing the ladder. And at this point, I was an account director, which is about the highest level you get before you start making partner mm -hmm. and start getting into, um, you know, owning your own agency or mm -hmm. having um, ownership of an agency. And I was the most miserable I'd ever been. So I didn't really know what to do. I had like this inner conflict. So interesting. And um, I found my way to meditation and I um, had read a book. That was recommended by Oprah because she changes everybody's lives. Gotta love her. <laughs> like literally, I can pinpoint that she changed my life. She had a, a woman amazing. on. Isn't that amazing? I was watching one of her episodes, her best life episodes, and she had a woman named Elizabeth Lesser on. And Elizabeth Lesser uh, um, gave amazing advice to this young man that I was so impressed with the advice. I wanted to know more about her. And I read her book, and she started something called the Omega Institute, which is a meditation and retreat mm -hmm. center in upstate New York. And I lived in New York City, and I looked it up, and it was literally like a 30-minute train ride. That's crazy. And I, they had a beginnings meditation course, and I wasn't sure I was going to take it. I really held out, and like two days before, I was like, all right, I'm going to see if they have room. And if they have room, I'll go. And they did. They had room. They had the exact room I wanted. And it was like something out of a bad movie. Um, I left on Friday at 5 o'clock, and I was wearing my New York City clothes, which mm -hmm. is like super cute outfit with high heels. And I ran to Penn Station and got on the train. And leaving at 5 o'clock in New York City is like leaving at 2 o'clock here. Like people yeah. notice. Like yeah. It's like <laughs> early. Yeah. Um, and so I did feel like I was leaving early to go to this retreat center. And I got there, and it was already dark. And so there I am in the dark, in my heels, in the forest, looking for like the front door to this oh retreat center. God. Totally stressed out because I'm running late to get to the like first info session. I finally find everything. I drop my bags and like do this transformation into like yoga pants and tennis shoes. Um, and there I met this Buddhist monk named Bonte Wamala. And he taught beginning meditation, and it was amazing. His energy was so different. It was That's just so cool. very loving without being, it's not sexual love, it's just love. Yeah. And like, mm -hmm. you just wanted to be around him. And for all of Friday evening, all of Saturday, and most of Sunday, I learned to meditate. And I was hooked. And he was doing a retreat that summer. So this was October. So not until July, he was doing a retreat at a retreat house that he had started in the Czech Republic. Cool. In um, an, about an hour outside of Prague, yeah. in a place called Mielnik. Um, I said some, that to somebody this summer. I met a gentleman who was Czech. He's like, I have never met anyone who has been, been there. there. That's awesome. Yeah, I studied abroad there, and I Are wish I would have known about it. <laughs> I studied abroad there. Really? That's, That's so funny. Look at that. Wait, how did we never talk about that? I don't that? know. Yeah, I was in Prague last we were, fall. That's amazing. That we is amazing. We abroad in the same place, oh. 17 years apart. Yeah. That's amazing. If you ever go back, I will tell you where to go. All right, Milman. So, um, 
yeah, it's an old castle. And anyways, I signed up right away. And um, through the course of all those months, finally made the decision to leave my career. Wasn't sure what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. My college roommate from Georgetown uh, was getting her law degree at CU. And she was like, just come, lay on my couch, put your stuff in storage. And like, she's very like in the Boulder world. And I'm like very in the New York City world. So that sounded otherworldly to me. I'm like, I can't do that. I can't do that. And finally, things just got stressful enough and bad enough um, that I was like, okay, I can do that. And so uh, I told her yes. And then the next call actually was to the Buddhist monk. And I said, not only do I want to take this retreat, um, can I stay on and do seva, which is Mm -hmm. can I just stay and volunteer? And uh, so I took my one way June 30th, 2010, New York City to Denver. And it was awesome. Like there's nothing in the world like having all your stuff in storage and being completely free of all responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, The sun was setting over New York City when I left and it was beautiful. And it was like the final goodbye. Um, Came to Denver for just a couple days, kind of got my stuff situated and then went to the Czech Republic and did a one week retreat. Uh, part of it was silent. I would say about five days were silent. Oh Highly recommend it. Completely changed my life. And then I that stayed is so cool. for another month and did a bunch of volunteer work. And then I came back. And as I was leaving, um, Bonte realized that I could type really fast <laughs> and that he was writing a book. And he's like, you can do dictation, can't you? And I said, yes, I can. He said, will you come back for the month of September if I give you miles? And I was like, sure. So oh I God. went back and I lived with him for a month. So he was on one side of the retreat house. I was on the other. There were no more retreats. And every day we would, he would dictate his book to me. Holy crap. Um, that's so, cool. so that's like my little claim to fame is that I lived with a Buddhist monk. Um, no. <laughs> that is legit. Is your name awesome. written in his book somewhere? You Did know, you I don't credit? know. I don't even know if it got published. Like I, because then I started I came back and I like started my career again like mm-hmm. I and then so we've digressed I came back to Boulder yeah so what, ha- what happened next what's I the, what's totally changed my story? life yeah my Colorado story is that I um, got very involved in the tech scene you know started going to Boulder Open Coffee Club started working at tech startups just doing marketing being on the client side um and I very quickly learned that marketing wasn't very well respected in tech. Uh, and I had already had a career, right? Like I was an account director. I was used to being the one in charge. So it was very odd. And part of it was, is I didn't understand the technology. Like I had a huge technology gap in, and I was sitting oh. next to software developers and I had no idea what they were doing or what they were building. And it really bothered me. And I realized I wasn't going to get a seat at the leadership table unless I understood the technology, but I didn't know how to learn it. And I remember asking the software developer next to me, how he learned. And he's like, well, I got a computer science degree from the University of Iowa. I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. I am not (laughs) going back to school. (laughs) And so, well, not that kind of school anyways. Um, And then uh, serendipitously, the very first code school opened up uh, in the area. That That was Da Vinci Coders, actually. This is 2011. This was before Galvanize. It was before Turing. Um, wow. The only other one in the country that I think was open was Dev Boot Camp okay. in Chicago. They're just, it was very early on. So early that like I couldn't even get um, uh, like employment credits uh, wow. from the the county. Like it was mm-hmm. very, very early. Um, so I took, I was ignorance is bliss, had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know HTML. And so I didn't know anything. And I took a 15 week course to learn the language of Ruby and the framework of Rails. Um, I had a very good instructor. He was excellent. We were the only class he ever taught um, because it was so intense for him. And uh, yeah, for any developers listening, the first day of class, he taught us Emacs, the terminal, and GitHub. 
um, which are three totally separate things. And so when you're a super beginner, you're trying to, in your mind, think about how they work together. They don't work together. They don't actually. <laughs> they don't actually. Like, they're tools that you use for each different purpose mm -hmm. and they you know work together that way I guess you know you write your code in Emacs and then you write script on the terminal and you can write script in the terminal that goes to GitHub but yeah day one I had no idea what was going on and my mentor at the time he actually said you're just drinking from the fire hose like yeah. you're just standing in front of it um, so what did you do after those 15 weeks? So I, we all thought we were going to get jobs and like it was going to be so easy and I had been networking a lot and I knew that there was a gap in our knowledge between what where we were finishing and what companies mm -hmm. were their expectations were. Um, but I was also finding that the companies were unwilling to train. They were unwilling to teach us anything. And I thought it was a huge disservice. I still mm. think it's a huge disservice. Mm -hmm. um, when you think about my background, you know, I come from a really good education. I have um, degrees and professional experience and I'm well-spoken and mm. I couldn't get a job in that industry because wow. my technical skills were not high enough. But technical skills can be taught, especially to people who are diligent and hungry and want to learn, which is what I think most of the people in code schools are doing. Nobody puts themselves through that kind of stress right. um, mm -hmm. without a higher purpose. Yeah. So um, I pounded the pavement, looked for a job. I actually got an internship. Um, I was a little baby software developer for about two years, um, on and off, being both an intern and doing projects. Mm -hmm. And in that time, the struggle was so difficult of finding full-time employment that I um, ended up looking for women in tech groups. And I found one in Seattle called Lady Coders. And uh, they were putting on their first conference. They had done a Kickstarter because they recognized that women were struggling in their careers um, to interview, to get through the interview process. Um, I now realize a lot of it has to do with bias and unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. um, so I go to their conference. I got a scholarship to go. Like, my life was totally different at this point. Yeah. I went from being, like, six-figure advertising executive to code school student making $20 an hour. So yeah. life is totally different. I'm back to, like, carrying a backpack, living really small, and I'm staying on a French cou friend's couch in Seattle um, going to this um, yeah, conference for... Uh, on a scholarship and I thought a lot of what they had to say was good. I didn't think all of it was good, but there were a couple really key things that I wanted to bring back to Boulder. One was mock technical interviews. They had someone very senior at Microsoft come in and with one of the organizers uh, mock out what his expectations were and her insights into like how mm -hmm. she gets through these problems. And I was like, this is gold right here. Um, and there were a few other things like that. And so I said to them, let's bring this to Boulder. And they said, well, get us a sponsor and a location and we'll come. And um, all my marketing skills like totally kicked in. I went back to Boulder. I went to Open Coffee Club, made the announcement, got introductions to Google and Gannett and SendGrid and Rally Software. And um, I raised, I can't remember the exact amount, probably somewhere around $20,000. And I got Google to host us and we had a conference. Amazing. The problem was, is the women um, who were putting it on disbanded as an organization before mm. it was supposed to happen. And there was some infighting between them who was going to work with me on this Boulder mm -hmm. project. I ended up totally walking away and opening an LLC to do the conference myself. Um, mostly because I had money to invoice. And if you don't have an EIN number, you can't yep. invoice. And so I reluctantly became an entrepreneur. I opened the LLC. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the name came about. Um, uh, I know, it's really funny. I opened the LLC. 
I opened the bank account, got the EIN number, invoiced everyone, and put on the conference. And then that launched a whole other career for me. That summer, so the conference was in May, that summer I was interviewing like crazy. I interviewed all over town to try and still be a software developer. And I just, my skill set wasn't high enough and no one was willing to train me. Um, That's nuts. uh, It is nuts. And I witnessed so much bad behavior that I started to speak out about it. So two things happened in that moment. Um, After Lady Coders, I got two pieces of important business um, that took me on a different path. One was um, working with Vanessa Hurst, who was one of the founders of Girl Develop It. She had a new initiative called Code Montage. She wanted some large-scale hackathons in New York City put on, so she hired me to do that. So all of a sudden, I became like in the hackathon business. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Nina knows this part because this is how we met. I um, became a subcontractor on the Go Code Colorado project in its inception. And then after the first year, uh, Lady Coders actually became the lead contractor and I ran it for an additional three years. Right. So that launched me as an entrepreneur and as a full business owner. Um, Those two pieces of business were large enough that I was really able to get footing in this world. On the side, I was sharing with the world like, there's a problem here. Like, mm-hmm. it is weird that there are no women in this industry. Like, do they not know it's strange? Like, I remember being an intern and going... You mean in coding? In, in coding, yeah, world. in the developer world. I remember going into the, um, the uh, software development firms and uh, being the only woman in the building and the only person of any sort of ethnic background. And then I'm looking around and I'm like, wow, everyone's really young. Like I'm one of the oldest people here in my mid thirties. And um, and so it was very apparent. It wasn't just gender, it was race and age. And then I was like, I don't think anyone here is LGBTQ. And you know, at least they're not presenting that way. And did it seem like yeah. none of them even noticed? Or do you they think were, others were aware of it? Um, they didn't notice. They were excited to have a woman in the in the building. I mean, who wouldn't be, right? Like, it's literally, when I say I'm the only woman, I'm the only woman in their office that day. Uh, so they, they were like, yes, great. This is awesome. A woman's going to be a software developer. So they were encouraging and enthusiastic. And I do need to make that clear. I did not um, experience the overt sexism that has now kind of come out into the world. Mm-hmm. I experienced that in advertising. In software development, it was more subversive. It was more, um, is she smart enough to be here? Does she Got have it. the goods? And the answer was There's no. skepticism. Yeah, yeah, there was skepticism. There was challenging to my intellect. Um, it's a lot about what the Google manifesto said. Yep, totally. when, he, when he said the lines that he said about um, women just don't have the they're intellect. Not, yeah, they're not hardwired that way. They're not hardwired yeah. that way. I was like, oh my God, boy, did he finally just open up what they all think privately. Like that is totally what I felt every time I interviewed and the hard part was is that I didn't have that yeah. but I wasn't trained yet like you know um, I had a very good mentor say to me nobody's born knowing that Rails is a framework of Ruby like that is a learned thing and what I found is that the system was even hard um, for women to learn because nobody wanted to train us now I say women um it would be all code schoolers. But I do think that if you're young and white and male and you look like them, you have an easier in. You have um, built-in mentors. You have people like, oh, totally. I've been in your shoes. And it just feels um, people like to hang out with people like themselves. You know, Nina and I hang out all the time. <laughs> We're like each other. <laughs> we are. We're, We're both biracial women who get shit done. <laughs> totally. <laughs> about the same age, about the same education level. Exactly. Like 100%. So, um, so it's not a, it's 
it's not totally conscious. So I started to speak out about it. And then I would say about a year ago, um, I realized that everyone was finally ready to hear what I've been saying. Denver Startup Week 2012, I gave a diversity and inclusion talk. That's how long I've been talking about this. I actually had quite a few people come in and no one had thought or heard about the things I had said. Um, it is crazy. Um, okay, so flash forward a little bit just because I, I don't want to run totally Brandon. out of time. I know. I'm so, sorry. I'm no, but I, I love it. This is this is awesome background. We haven't even asked a question. <laughs> yeah. Just like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. Right here. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, Literally. So, but flash forward a little bit. So, you give this talk in 2012. You're still you're you're doing the Lady Coders Conference. You're mm-hmm. doing um, hackathons in New York. You're doing, um, Go doing Go Code Colorado, yeah. which. April 13th to 15th at DU. Yep. Little plug for GoCode. Absolutely. Um, it's a great program. Tell us about Equally. Absolutely. Like how it came to tell us everything. So about a year ago, I, and it's longer than a year, probably at this point a year and a half ago, I'm in the middle of GoCode and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I have a lot of information about how to fix this industry. I think they're finally ready to hear it. And so I went down the path of like getting some like, I'd say friends slash advisors together and saying, okay, what do you think, you know, my company is really trying to do and just started doing like brand strategy Mm -hmm. work. And then I hired a friend um, who's an excellent brand strategist. Her name is Leslie James, um, as well as the designer who did all of the Go Code work. And I put the two of them together and I said, okay, here's my mission and my vision. And Leslie wrote up this whole big brand strategy document and they came up with the name and the logo and hired a web designer and I was so I was wrapping up go code and launching equally yeah. and then I did the craziest thing of all the contract with go code ended like June 30th 2017 and like equally launched like June 27th <laughs> 2017 no rest for you I did not take a break rest I don't know what my problem was I really was like this has to get out um but it did it did and um and in hindsight it actually worked out perfectly because the week that I launched equally was um when Travis Kalanick was fired My gosh. uh when James and Moore wrote his Google yep. manifesto mm-hmm. when um Dave McClure resigned when binary capital blew mm-hmm. up like it was amazing the yeah. Denver Business Journal emailed me like called me and they were like your timing is impeccable it's insane <laughs> it was insane yeah. i launched like uh, the weekend before 4th of July and you think 4th of July weekend there's going to be no news oh, that, and like this year. it was blowing up now I did think that business would be good immediately because of that and what I found is that the industry was still really reluctant to want to change. And so a little bit well, so about what Equally tell, does. Yeah, yeah, just tell us more what your model is. So um, I initially was doing workshops and trainings on how to fix your hiring practices, your interviewing practices, your um, job descriptions, like all the things I experienced as a software developer being inside. Because what I, what I like to say is I was an insider and an outsider, right? Like I started from the bottom, but I was already an adult and a professional. So I was watching it through the eyes of an adult and a professional. And so I have a lot of, like, there's just a lot of bad behavior. I'm like, companies, you can totally fix this. And an example of that would be um, uh, the way whiteboarding for technical interviews works. I think whiteboarding is stupid. You never whiteboard as a software developer. Just get rid of it and instead pair program with a developer all day long. Bring them in, or not even all day long, a couple hours. Within a couple hours, you will know their skill set if you're pair programming with them mm-hmm. and if you can work with them. And it's a much better judge of um, skills. And it's far less stressful. Mm-hmm. And frankly, whiteboarding is um, antiquated. So that type of 
um, work. I was doing trainings and workshops on that sort of thing. And then I also started to do trainings and workshops on fixing their culture hmm. because tech has two problems. It does have a pipeline issue, but it also has a leaky faucet issue, uh, which means that 50% of all women leave tech within 12 years. Um, and for the most part, they go on and own their own businesses. And actually, when I read that stat, I was like, oh, that's what I did. Yeah. Like after two years, <laughs> you're like, you know what? Really... Nobody wants me, but I'm just going to start my own business yeah. and go this whole other route. So you're the problem you're trying to fix. Exactly. Exactly. So I um, started with workshops and trainings. What I quickly found out is that companies um, were reluctant to put money towards a solution, towards a proactive solution, mm -hmm. because they didn't think the problem was that pervasive. Um, and so in the meantime, I was also doing a ton of speaking, a ton of educating, and um, really putting the brand out there. And I would say in the fall of last year, I had this moment where I was like, look, if nobody wants this, like I'm spinning my wheels and I'm just going to potentially move on, but I will still do the Lady Coders Conference. So I kept pushing all the consulting services that I offered, um, but I also started to ramp up for the Lady Coders Conference, which is April 6th, 7th, and 8th this year in the Denver. The weekend before GoCode. The weekend before GoCode. We're doing it all. <laughs> no, it's again. No. I actually called Andrew Cole, and I was like, what day is GoCode? He's like, this date. I'm like, okay, good. I can do it. I won't, we're not going to sabotage each other here. Um, and it's a 200-person uh, conference for women and non-binary technologists uh, to get mentorship, community, um, and the tools they need to stay in the industry. Like, I'm really trying to stave off them leaving. So for women that are 10 years or less, I would say, uh, who are software developers, and then I'm bringing in women with 15 years plus experience to mentor all of them. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll have a Mantle panel, which is uh, my Mantle, which is... Um, VPs of engineering, uh, all men. To Which is generally what every panel looks like everywhere else. In the exactly, world. But, but this yeah, one's purposeful. Go ahead. <laughs> this one's purposeful Mantle. because I, I want them to answer the hard questions for the women and to also be advocates and to talk about That's their awesome. side of the story. Because mm -hmm. um, there are plenty of male allies and they don't know what to do either. So I'm really working hard to bridge the gaps between the men, the women, um, the races, the uh, LGBTQ mm -hmm. community. I also started um, a meetup with another gentleman, Dan Gutierrez, called CODIV. You can just go to codiv.org. And it's really just for people that want to fix the diversity and inclusion problem in tech in Colorado. Uh, it's not women-based. It's not any group-based. It's like, I just care about the issue and I want to make it happen. And so That's we're doing awesome. some pretty cool things there. I have a woman from San Francisco coming out to... Um, talk about racism and awesome. do like a racism workshop. So going back to Equally, um, I wasn't sure the industry was ready. However, then the Me Too thing happened. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, what I saw at the end of 2017 was the recognition that it wasn't just Google's problem or Uber's problem or even Harvey Weinstein's problem, that this was um, that sexism and uh, the marginalization of other is a uh, is pervasive in all industries. And and I will say that at the beginning of 2018, companies have been calling and they do want my That's services awesome. and they want to figure it out because they don't know what to do. Um, and I have been tapped to talk a lot about how to fix sexism in the office, how to fix their hiring practices. And again, there are two different camps. There are the reactive groups mm -hmm. and the reactive groups are the ones that have a problem. It's open, it's public yep. knowledge. 
and they need lawyers and publicists, but they should call me right after that. And then there are the camps and groups that want to get ahead of the problem. They know it's an issue. I have companies calling me. They're like, we only have one woman on staff. We know this is a problem. How do we fix this problem? What are we doing wrong? And things like that. That's awesome. Um, I talked for like 20 minutes. We are chock full of out of time. That <laughs> makes no sense. We are entirely out of time. Um, I'm sorry, everyone, that no, all you did was just listen to it me. It was awesome. Why no, are you, what's, the, what's the URL for Equally so people can find oh, you? Absolutely. It's spelled E-Q-U-I-L-I. And so it's dot L-I. Um, like E-Q-U-I dot L-I. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Um, this has been so cool. Thank you, We ladies. don't really have time for any questions, but I don't really think we have... Any questions? No, I'm just excited awesome. to see more companies be proactive with you. Thank so. you. Yeah. I hope they are. This is amazing. And I hope we it's a totally her. different work environment for you than it was, Alana, that, um, Elena, than it was for uh, Nina and I. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Elaine, thank you so much. We You're could talk for welcome. hours, but we're out of time. All right. Thank you. Bye. You're the best. <laughs> Project Excite Sessions is recorded on the University of Denver campus and is produced with our partner, Tech Studios, at the Cable Center. To learn more about Project Excite and to listen to all of our episodes of Excite Sessions, visit projectexcite.org.